As you are aware, the, the title of today's message is Amazing Grace, and as I prayed a bit earlier, I, I really wrestled with this message because I thought, you know, ah, Amazing Grace, Lord, come on, give me something else to share about grace. Everybody knows the word grace. And I must say, I wrestled with it right up until this morning when I was praying for, for the service and, and how the Lord wants to move forward. And only then did he release a word to me, which I'll read to you now, which led me to understand why this topic is chosen for today. So I wrote down in my journal the following. Some of my children called by my name who have surrendered their lives to me, they have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, yet they live in bondage to the past. The weight of past sin pinning them down. They do not have the ability to live in all the freedom, with all the benefits, with all the victory a life in me has for them. And this is simply and for one reason. They have not had a revelation of the grace I have given them freely through Christ my Son. My abundant grace is not a reality for some. And I want my Holy Spirit to minister this to my people today. And if this is in, in your heart and if this resonates with you, I pray that today will be a defining day for you when it comes to the grace of the Lord operating in your heart. I want to start the, the message just about, by telling you a story about a man who... At the young age of seven, his mom was a, a believer and read the Bible to him, but at the age of seven, she passed away, and he was left in the care of his uh, stepfather. At the age of 11, now my youngest is 11, my wife reminded me, I said 12 in the first service, but at the age of 11, he started sailing the world in what we would term today the merchant navy. Can you imagine sending your child off? to sail the seven seas at the age of 11. I can't quite comprehend it. Eventually he was fired for that job, not long after, by the way, but he was fired from that job because of his unsettled behavior and impatience of restraint. In his teenage years, while he was part of the Royal Navy, he abandoned ship and, and ran away. And he was caught, flogged, put in irons, all because he rebelled against the discipline of the Royal Navy. After a while, he later begged them to release him because he said he can't handle their discipline and they can't handle his free thinking. So please let him go. And he was discharged into the slave trading ships where they were transporting slaves around the world. In all of this, he remained extremely arrogant and lived with moral abandon. How many of you are aware of the saying, you swear like a sailor? In Afrikaans, it's, ye fluxus a matruas. Well, it is said of this gentleman that he used to swear so much that the pagans used to hang their head in embarrassment. To quote him, this is what he said of his life. I sinned with a high hand and I made it my study to tempt and seduce others. 
His life eventually degenerated to the point where he was left begging for food on, on some remote uh, part of the world. And he gave his life to the Lord. But even by his own admission, he didn't do it with a whole heart. But his life had changed. The Lord did something in his life there. And later in life, he was ordained into Anglican ministry. Now, if you haven't realized by now, that is the testimony of John Newton, who wrote the song, Amazing Grace. Can you believe it? Someone whose life was, as I described, so beautifully rescued. You see, when you reflect on the song Amazing Grace and understand the person who wrote it just a, a little bit, you realize that he understood what a wretched person he was. He also understood how blinded he was to sin. But at the same time, he knew the sweet sound of God's amazing grace. He knew from where he came, dead in sin, to being redeemed in Christ and living with the assurance of salvation that his Savior had truly saved him. You see, the grace of God is a topic or a subject which is far more complex than what we give it credit for. And because it is so complex, it is something that you as an individual might struggle to be able to describe. To describe. How do I describe the grace of God in, in my life? And you might really find it difficult to explain. And in today's time and in the secularized world we live in, we're taught, well, if you don't understand something, rather break it up into little pieces, and hopefully by taking off bite sizes, you will understand. The problem is, at times, and I believe when it comes to the grace of God, we run the risk of diluting the grace of God to the point where it loses its original meaning. And that is not what we want. But you see, I, I'm of the view that explaining God's amazing grace is difficult. I know that when I was born again and, uh, at a young age and uh, somebody said, well, what's changed in your life? I couldn't describe it. I just knew that I had accepted Jesus into my heart. He had saved me. And from there, I was just going to walk a road with him as my loving Savior I couldn't really describe it. So I understand that God's grace is something difficult to explain. And just remember in Ephesians 2 verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith is believing in that which is unseen as if it is. Grace is part of that sentence and part of that package. So you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, the Word says. So when, you, when God transforms your life, I can fully understand that it's difficult to be able to explain it. And I'm so grateful to God for people like John Newton, where you're able to reference somebody like this who has the ability to pen down the work of God's grace in his heart. And I can read that and go, hey, that's me. I can use those beautiful words to explain what God is doing in my life. You see, however, God has a desire for all of us to come to an understanding of His grace. Why? Because it's 
part of our growing in Him. I shared a message once from the pulpit where I said uh, we need to be careful that we don't get stuck at the cross. Because the cross is the wonderful working power of the Lord. But God wants us to move on from there into maturity with Him. Not ever forgetting, but moving on and growing in Him. And grace and understanding of God's grace is part of that maturing process. And there is so much that God has for you. An example of this is His peace. But do you know that without a revelation of His grace in your life, you will not find peace? Because the peace of the Lord comes with an understanding of His grace in your life. So it takes me to point number one, a basic biblical understanding of God's grace. And uh, I'm going to try and stick to the word as much as possible because the word is true and every man is a liar. And uh, if you read about God's grace, you'll see that theologians still today fight about what it really is. I just choose to take God's word for what it is and uh, accept it and to walk in it as it is. So the word grace is difficult to define as it's got all these funny little meetings, uh, meanings. Like if you read the dictionary, you, it has the meaning of you grace me with your presence. It has, um, talks about smoothness and elegance of movement, makes me think of a ballet dancer who, who's just flowing and, and dancing on the stage. And the biblical definition of grace is in respect of salvation. It is not the same as the typical dictionary definition. It is all that God has done to affect the salvation of you and I. And the whole Bible from cover to cover is about God's saving grace, how He wants us to have relationship with Him, and all that He has put in place so that you can have that relationship with Him. The biblical definition of grace in the Bible is also a verb. It's a doing word. It's an act of love. In Romans 5 verse 8 it reads, but God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Hebrews 5, verse 8 to 9, it reads that he sacrificed his son. Though he has a son, yet he learned, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. The scripture also says that he raises us as sinners to new life in Christ. Ephesians 2 verse 4 to 8 says, but God, and I do believe there's a sermon waiting there for someone with a title, but God, because whenever there's a but God, something important happens. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And the Bible adds, by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So I want to give you an illustration right now. If you can imagine that this auditorium is a courtroom and I am the judge 
Imagine the first row being the accused. <laughs> and the rest of you, if you picture a, a, a courtroom, maybe the second row is the, what do you call it, that picket fence type thing, and the rest of you are sitting at the back. And uh, we've gone through the whole trial, and you have been found guilty. You are guilty. And the judge is about to issue his sentence towards you. And that sentence is a certain death. You deserve it. You are punishable for the crime. And the reality is you are guilty as charged. And yet as the judge pronounces his verdict, Jesus steps out from the audience and he says, I will take their crime and their punishment upon myself. That is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, even in the church, there is a secularized distortion of the meaning of grace. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who we're going to just read the paragraph together, he calls it cheap grace. This is not the grace we believe. Cheap grace, according to him, is grace as a doctrine, as a principle, as a system. It means forgiveness of sins proclaimed as a general truth, the love of God taught as the Christian conception of God. An intellectual asset to that idea is held to be of itself sufficient to secure the remission of sins. This whole paragraph is full of man's intervention. The church which holds the correct doctrine of grace has, it is supposed, by the very fact or act, a part in that grace. In such a church, the world finds a cheap covering for its sins. No contrition is required, still less any real desire to be delivered from sin. Cheap grace, therefore, amounts to a denial of the incarnation of the Word of God. The reality is there is nothing you can do or perform or make happen or punishment that you can take on yourself to earn God's grace. It is freely available to you. It takes us to point number two. As believers, we have the unjustifiable privilege to live under God's grace. And as I mentioned a moment ago, there's absolutely nothing you can do to earn or to receive God's grace except to do one thing, and that is to make the decision to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Nothing else. The rest He does for you freely. And the most accepted, simplified biblical definition of God's grace is unmerited favor. Amen? And this is difficult for us to believe, uh, to take on or to understand as human beings because we grow up in a world that works on a merit system. 
if you do this, you get that. If you do good, good will be done unto you, etc., etc. It's a whole merit system. But there's absolutely nothing you can do to receive God's grace. The only step you need to take is to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So maybe you ask, what about God's grace prior to being saved? Well, I'd like to use an illustration for that. If you can imagine a timeline, this represents the time of the cross. It also represents a timeline of your life. So here at the cross, you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Well, up until that time, you live under God's judgment and his mercy. But the minute you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you then live under his amazing grace going forward. Amen? So the only thing you need to do is accept Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior. You see, God's judgment and mercy meets at the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's at the cross where Jesus takes all the judgment for your and my sins and takes the death sentence on himself. You see, the scripture says, for the wages of sin is death. And he took it on himself. The scripture, and I want to add to it, for the wages, the cost of sin, the crime, is death, the sentence. And he took it on himself. The mercy is in the fact that he stood in the gap for you and me. For he who knew no sin took sin on himself so that we can be saved. You see, that is the mercy of the cross. But what happens is he expresses his mercy towards unbelievers by withholding his judgment. The scripture says in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, for the believer, it's at the cross that God's judgment and mercy is dispensed as grace towards us. Amen? Point number three, what are we to do with God's amazing grace? And it takes us to, to the theme scripture, uh, Titus 2, verse 11 to 14. If you want to maybe turn there with your Bibles, it is on the screen. Reading from verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Now, theologically speaking, it's a bit of a wrong interpretation because if you read it straight, it, it means all men will be saved. But it actually means all men have the opportunity to be saved because Jesus has already done the work. You have the opportunity to be saved. In verse 12, it says, teaching us, that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. 
So it tells us in Titus 2 that we should deny ungodliness and we should deny worldly lusts and that we should replace it rather with living soberly, living righteously, and living godly. Now, is this a reason for us to have a free pass on sin? Surely not. Surely not. In Jude 1 verse 4, referring to to men who have crept into the body of Christ, it says, For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to reference that scripture to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer shared in terms of cheap grace. Let us not settle for cheap grace. Let us settle for God's grace as his word has put forward for us. And also in Romans 6 verse 1 to 2 it says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue, to, uh, continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, shall we continue to sin so grace, God can just dispense more grace? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? So let us not use this saying, I am under grace, I am not under law, to live a life which is unworthy of the grace of God which is poured out over our lives. You see, God's grace brings you to salvation first and secondly, trains you as God's people for godliness and good works. And we do this all in the hope of a future with Jesus Christ who will return for his beloved bride one day. What about the unbeliever? Well, I want to encourage you, if you're sitting here today and maybe you haven't made a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ, there will be an opportunity when we close the service for you to pray the sinner's prayer. But I want to encourage you, if you want to experience God's grace, accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. That is all you need to do. The rest he does Not because we deserve it, but because he loves us. The Bible says we are all slaves to sin. And because all of us have sinned, we are under the sentence of death. But God, he made a way through Jesus. His beloved son who died on a cross, who faced judgment on our behalf, mercifully taking our sentence upon himself so that we may live with his amazing grace. I'm going to close in prayer and, and while we uh, pray somewhere through, I'll say, please will you pray with me? And I'd like us to pray the sinner's prayer together as uh, a congregation as a whole. And I'll prompt you. So may I ask that we stand? May I ask that, except for the hospitality team, maybe that there's not so much movement at this point in time? And we're going to pray a prayer, and and somewhere in that prayer, I I will say we're now going to do the the sinner's prayer. And then I want us to pray it out loud in support of those who want to make Jesus their Lord and Savior today. And then I want to ask that the pastors and the shepherds, maybe you want to come forward now so long. That's fine. 
And if I can ask that maybe we don't use this exit. But once I close the service, if you prayed that prayer, we would love to pray with you. And just pray into that decision that you have made for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray first and then we'll do the sinner's prayer. Dear Father, may we remember that we were bought at a price, a costly price. And I cannot thank you enough, Jesus, for taking my sentence upon yourself so that I may live under your grace. May I continue to know and be reminded of your true grace as per the Bible. And may I never ever settle for any form of trapping cheap grace, but that I may live in your grace as dispensed to me when I gave my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear Lord, may I look forward to in the hope of your grace provides at the same time, not forgetting from where that grace comes from. And may your grace continue to teach us how to live sober, righteous, and godly lives, honoring your name in the process. Let us all pray out loud together. Dear God, I need you. I am humbly calling out to you. I'm tired of doing things my way. Help me to start doing things your way. I invite you into my life to be my Lord and Savior. Fill the emptiness in me with your Holy Spirit and make me whole. Lord, help me to trust you. Help me to love you. Help me to live for you. Help me to understand your grace, your mercy and your peace. Thank you, Lord. Now, I believe if you prayed that prayer, you are now born again. And once the service is closed, I want to ask you to take that step of courage and just step forward so that the pastors and the shepherds can minister to you. Father, as we close this service, we abound in your goodness and we say thank you, thank you, thank you. Jesus, we thank you for your amazing grace that you made possible for free, not because we deserved it, but because you loved us. I thank you, Lord, that you will keep us till we meet again. And may your love be with us. May your Holy Spirit continue to minister to us as we leave from this place today. In Jesus' name. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Bless you. You are free to go.